Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. Today I would like to focus on the wholeness of Shalom. You might have noticed in previous sermons, I kind of get hold of a theme or a word and then follow the breadcrumbs. But before we follow any breadcrumbs in terms of diving into the word of Shalom, let's just zoom out a bit and get some of Isaiah's context. As has been mentioned earlier in the series, the book of Isaiah divides into two chunks. The first is what chapters 1 to 39 and then chapter 40 to 66. Apparently, Isaiah's prophecies were initially received fairly well by the people of Judah, but soon what they hear makes them uncomfortable. Prophecy after prophecy, holding the kingdoms of Judah and Israel and some of the surrounding nations to account for their evil, sinful, corrupt and wicked behaviour. Not exactly what you would call easy listening. It takes a siege by the Assyrian king Sennacherib for King Hezekiah to finally listen to Isaiah's advice in chapters 36 to 37. Sadly, though, listening to Isaiah doesn't seem very long lived because King Hezekiah's successor, Manasseh, probably could be counted in one of the top five worst kings of Judah. And it's thought that he ordered Isaiah's death. Despite this backdrop of national turmoil, perhaps something that many of us feel like we are able to resonate with at the moment, the second half of Isaiah speaks of hope and consolation, brought about by one who brings comfort, peace and salvation. Our first reading today brings us here. Isaiah chapter 24 outlines particular judgment by God on specific nations, but then it moves on to speak of universal judgment. Chapter 25 to 27 announce salvation. Here's a good did you know, because I didn't. In the Old Testament, the meaning of shalom and salvation are almost synonymous, almost the same. So let's unpack it a little bit. The root of the word shalom is completeness or wholeness, but it also includes vitality in every dimension of life, holistic or holistic health for our souls and our spirits. Holding that in mind helps us make sense of another theme in today's readings, God's healing. Sometimes described in the passages that we're reading today as building up or restoring or reviving. In today's passages, when we hear God say, keeping in perfect peace those of steadfast mind and giving peace, peace to everyone, whether near or far, let's add into our understanding that sense of healing and wholeness, which is brought about by salvation. Rabbi Eckstein, a founder of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews, explains that the repetition of the Hebrew word shalom isn't so much just for emphasis as it is for definition and interpretation. It distinguishes an earthly peace from God's peace, a total peace encompassing every dimension of our minds, our emotions, our will and our bodies and our relationships. In the New Testament, we see in Ephesians that Paul understood chapter 57's shalom, shalom, as a reference to salvation, as well as to peace and well-being. He says this, 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our shalom. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity, thus making shalom. He came and preached shalom to you who were far away and shalom to those who were near. Throughout the book of Isaiah, we can see where shalom is used as a parallel to other words for salvation. Maybe the most striking of these is the word Yeshua in Isaiah 52. Yeshua is another version of the name Joshua or Yehoshua, or as you and I might know it in English, Jesus. It literally means salvation or help. These words in Isaiah were synonyms, alternative words with similar meanings for salvation. So as a mind-blowing PS to this, the same parallel between peace, wholeness and salvation is implied in the Gospels in Luke chapter 2 verse 14, when the shepherds, who were society's most overlooked, excluded, underprivileged group of people at the time, to the extent that actually their word didn't count for anything in a court of law, these people hear angels addressing them singing glory to God in the highest and on earth shalom to those whom God's favour rests. It's an announcement that turned every existing social and religious hierarchy on its head by including them in shalom shalom. As Steve Chalk alludes to in his book The Lost Message of Jesus, no wonder Mary, a young girl from a lowly village and thus yet another symbol of a powerless nobody in that particular context, no wonder she was so perplexed when this angel, Gabriel, tells her that she's highly favoured. Why would God notice her, let alone bless her with the fullness of Shalom and then invite her to be the mother of Yeshua, the one chosen to carry the fullness of Shalom in human form, the rescuer, the Messiah, salvation incarnate. Okay. Here's a little peek into my week. By this point in writing the sermon, my mind was blown. There were so many interconnecting words and promises and the beckoning of God to the world to restore creation to its original shalom state through Jesus the Saviour. It stirred in me a longing for temple courts where ordinary people could bring reflections and discussions, understanding of scripture, discussing and learning and disagreeing and pulling back and forth as a community in a public space. And in that moment, I think I glimpsed just a little of why a young rabbi linking up scriptures in a new way, both in the temple and on a hillside and in the marketplace was so utterly life-changingly universally revolutionary. But back to today's readings. Let's thread some of these themes together. First we see shalom, wholeness. Then that meshes in with salvation, being saved. But there's also healing in verse 19 and the building up, the restoring, the reviving of peoples and cities through these passages in Isaiah. Where does the healing of shalom fit in? Well, in this broken world, full of broken people, me and you included, our minds, bodies, actions, societies, and the choked natural world that we have ravaged all goes to show that good intentions just are not enough. 
we have made ourselves king. Stepping outside of God's freedom-giving boundaries, drawn to define a kingdom of selfless shalom by choosing ourselves as the rulers of our minds and our bodies and filling them with noise and influence, which supposedly empowers us to take control of our lives, we have instead set a course for more brokenness, far outside the kingdom of peace, perfect peace. In a time such as this, during a worldwide pandemic, the need for the healing of God's shalom wholeness could not be more desperate. David spoke last week of fatigued minds, of frustrated hearts and breaking point. After seven months of uncertainty, loneliness, separation and no diary date end in sight, it's understandable for us to think that the wholeness of Shalom and the life in all its fullness that Jesus talks about in John 10 is a flipping long way off. But we aren't the first people to feel overwhelmed by the state of the world around us. The people who originally hear Isaiah's prophecies, they were living under constant threat from the superpower of Assyria, which was gobbling up neighbouring territories for breakfast, lunch and dinner. The idea of complete shalom must have seemed like foolishness. Fast forward through 450 years and the people hearing Isaiah's words from Jesus' lips were living their lives in the dark shadow of Roman occupation. This backdrop was so cruel and so depressing that in Matthew 11, even Jesus' own cousin, John the Baptist, expresses his confusion about Jesus' role as the Messiah. John tells his disciples that he'd expected judgment from the Messiah, judgment of the oppressors, quoting from Isaiah 34. Instead, Jesus responds with words from the following chapter and some quotes from chapter 61. The Messiah has not made his first priority judgment. Instead, he has brought about all things, Shalom. Miracles, healing, the rebirth and blossoming of nature, even in the desert places. Good news for the poor, release for the captives, poor old John, and healing for the brokenhearted. Fast forward a millennia and a half to the late 1800s when a man tells a crowd that he regularly battles with depression. I find myself frequently depressed, perhaps more so than any other person here, said Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Immediately after sharing this vulnerability, this respected Baptist prince of preachers, as he became known, shares with his listeners what brings him peace. I find no better cure for that depression than to trust in the Lord with all of my heart and to seek afresh the peace-speaking blood of Jesus. Spurgeon was moved to this impromptu sermon after hearing the hymn, Peace, Perfect Peace. And the words of that song were written by a man called Edward Bickersteth, who was inspired when hearing a sermon from the very same passage as we've read today. He was visiting a deeply depressed, agitated, dying relative, and Edward wanted to offer comfort. Reminded of the sermon he'd heard that morning, he picks up his Bible and reads Isaiah 57, and then proceeds to write down the following words. Uh, for those of you who 
recognise the particular hymn, please bear with me, I've adapted a few of the words, I didn't want any of it to pass beyond the heart and reach of people today. As we hear these words and we dive into the depths of the shalom offered to us through the life, the example and the sacrifice of our rescuer and Messiah, Jesus Christ, open our hearts. Peace, perfect peace, in this dark world of sin. The blood of Jesus whispers peace within. Peace, perfect peace, by thronging duties pressed, to do the will of Jesus, this is rest. Peace, perfect peace, with sorrows surging round. In Jesus' arms, nothing but calm is found. Peace, perfect peace, with loved ones far away. In Jesus' keeping, we are safe, and so are they. Peace, perfect peace, our future all unknown. Jesus we know, and he is on the throne. Peace, perfect peace, death shadows us and ours. Jesus has conquered death and all its powers. Which of those most speak to you? Have you been walking through the darkness, as David preached on last week, in need of the great light? Are you drowning in duties and tasks in need of rest? Has this year thrown sorrow and grief at you so deep that it's up to your neck and you need strong arms to pull you out? Are you lonely? Are you worried? Anxious about what tomorrow might bring? Desperate for reassurance and security? Me? I've been restless. It's like there's been an anxious anger bubbling within me this year. I need shalom. Immediately, my busybody mind rushes off to try and figure out what I should be doing more of or less of to try and attain it. Stop. <laughs> I have forgotten that shalom does not start with me. One 20th century rabbi said that this kind of shalom transcends the situations and flaws of our own personal lives. Because it doesn't come from us. It comes from God. We are not in a position to attain peace ourselves. The theologian J.N. Oswald highlights that the Hebrew word for steadfast in Isaiah 25 verse 3 is samuk. It's a passive participle. Yeah, I, I had to look that up. It basically means that the person whose mind God is talking about isn't the instigator. God is. The promise of perfect shalom offered to us in this passage isn't just for some holy elite who've managed to bend their minds into perfect, perfect behaviour and focusing on God. It's offered to everybody because it cannot be grasped through our own efforts. Still being a little bit worried about are you able to manage it? Listen to the words of 6th century Abbot Bishop of Wales, Padan, when he spoke to his son. Bear God on your mind constantly. See God everywhere. For there is no place where God is not. So, if you're walking through darkness, God is there. If you're overwhelmed by responsibility, God is there. If you're neck deep in loss, 
God is there. If you're alone, God is there. And if God is there, Shalom is too. For the earth is the Lord's and everything within it. Let's pray. God of all the earth and all creation, I thank you that there is nothing that we can go through or experience or bring to you or choose or think or say that will separate us from your love. And I thank you that your love is not just some wishy-washy romantic concept. It's an overwhelming tidal wave of wholeness. And so as we go into this week, I pray that every hearer of these words, every seer of this video will know that you offer peace. And that instead of striving towards it, that we may stop, stand still, open ourselves up to receive and focus our minds on you. That where our mind wanders, we may just bring it back without telling ourselves off. Bring it back. Bring it back. It's okay. That this week when we find ourselves in turmoil, something just stirring within us, I pray that we would know how to just call your name, to ask for your help. Not thinking that we solve it, but that you, God, are the instigator of peace, perfect peace. And we pray that for our nation, for the world, for biologists and chemists seeking a vaccine, for school children worried, for people alone in their homes cut off from society, for those in total panic about whether they will lose their jobs. I pray that you would be there and give peace, perfect peace in all its fullness. Amen.